Mark 13, and uh, we're into a new chapter here, and we are uh, really literally uh, working our way. Uh, we're in chapter 13. If you look at chapter 14, verse 1, after two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. Uh, the Passover is when they kill him. So we're literally two days out before the cross. And uh, we are in, in chapter 13, verse 1. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives over against the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? And what we have here is the second Sermon on the Mount. Second, they, they call it the Olivet Discourse, and it's the second one. The first one isn't in Mark. It's in Matthew. It's Matthew 5, 6, and 7 at the beginning of the Lord's ministry, and it's recorded in Matthew because Matthew depicts the Lord as the king. And in the first Olivet, the first Sermon on the Mount, the king is giving the ethics and the constitution of his kingdom. Now we're here at the end of the ministry, and by the way, it's Matthew 24, and Matthew 25 and Luke 21. And now he's going to give the discourse here about the future um, of his kingdom and the establishment of his kingdom and the consummation of it and those events that are going to be happening there. That one is here in Mark, again, and in Luke and in Matthew. The beginning isn't because it's, Mark is depicting the Lord as a servant. We're not interested in any of his ethics or constitution. He just get on. Can he do the work? Here now, by the way, in Matthew, there is a third great discourse, and that's Matthew 13 uh, concerning the mystery parables of the kingdom. And there, in that chapter, he talks to the little flock about the delay that's going to happen between his first coming and the second coming, and what, what they're going to have to go through, and why there is, and so forth. So we have those really three great discourses there by the king. Here, Mark is only going to focus now on the, on the servant. Matthew, again, Matthew 24 and 25, it, it's about the little flock as they're going to go through the time of Jacob's trouble and their faithfulness in it, what they've got to do, and the judging of the, the judgment of the Gentiles and all those details. Mark here, he is none of that. He's just going to focus right in on that on the servants, the little flock. He's going to hone right down into and get very specific, very boom. I mean, he's just we're 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 Mark 13 and we're already at Calvary. He's just moving right along and so forth. And again, the great word in Mark is that word and, and also that word immediately. So verse 1, and he went out. What I want to do tonight, this passage is the, 
is a great prophetic passage, but it's also the passage of the preterist. And the, the preterists say that in AD 70, 70 AD, when the Roman Titus sacked the city, all of the prophetic scriptures were fulfilled. Everything was going on. And, and we'll say more as we go along here. And what we begin to realize is what the preterists don't like, and that's the issue of dispensational Bible study. And if you say that, there's a failure to rightly divide the word because in A.D. 70, the Apostle Paul, the dispensation of grace, has been going for quite a while, okay? It's, it's, it's from the early, uh, late 30 A.D.s onward. So when 70 A.D. hit, what's God's, what is God doing? He's not doing the prophetic program. He's doing the mystery program. If you can keep that in mind, when you hear these guys yap away, you can just dismiss it and save yourself some heartache. So I just want to get the flow this evening, and then we'll get into the details and so forth. Because in verse 1, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. Jesus, he goes out. And notice the end of the verse is with an exclamation point. So it's not a, hey, wow, look around. It's, wow, look at this place. What a beautiful place this is. It's not a question. When he says, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here, it, this place is fantastic. He's not asking, is this place? There's a, and by the way, it's, one of his disciples doing the exclamation. We'll talk about that in just a second. So Christ answers him, verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. When he says, see the stones, he's talking about where are they? They're in the temple. They're in that vain religious system of stuff. And he's prophesying the destruction of the vain religious system that he just dealt with in chapter 12. Just shut them all down. Shut the leadership down, caused all, cleaned them out, all of this stuff. And so as he sits here, I'm, you know, verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, he, again, you have to remember, he's been going in and out of Bethany, been, you know, camping. I, I, I always make that joke, you know, he's, he goes out of Jerusalem to Bethany, and then he comes back in, he goes back out, and so forth. So he's, he comes out, then Peter and James and John and Andrew come, and they talk to him. There's the little flock, only the little flock here. They want to know. They want to know when shall these things be and what shall be the signs when all these things shall be fulfilled. So if the temple's going to be destroyed, then when is that going to happen and what are the signs of you? You're coming. What's going on here? So, okay, so when we come into this, as we start Matthew 13, or, I'm sorry, Mark 13, there, again, a lot of information here. Now, Come over to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Good evening, guys. Matthew 24. And we're gonna, you're going to need to kind of stick something in Matthew 24. Because when these guys are talking here, 
in Mark 13 about when shall these be these things be and what shall be the signs when all these things shall be fulfilled they they know what prophecy he's talking about they know the very specific prophecy he's talking about they're not they're, the the, the, the little flock, the 12 here, and picturing the little flock, they are not going, what's he talking about? What's going on? They know specifically, and you understand that from Matthew 24. So run over to Matthew 24, because here, again, is the portrait of the king. And by the way, the king, we want to know what he says. And that's what we've got in Matthew. All of the declarations all of the legal pronouncements of the king, here they are. Mark, the servant, we don't care what he says. We want to know, can he work? Luke, the man, we want to, here's how he felt. Here's the deep things. And then John, the son of God, that's who he is. Matthew 24, verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Know what they're doing. The buildings, that religious system. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things. Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one stone upon, uh, upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now watch. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us when shall these things be, now watch, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Notice, they know he's talking about his second coming and the establishment of the kingdom. They're not just sitting there going, what's he doing? What's he talking about? And trying to guess. They've got a grasp of what's going on. He's just come down off the mount. He's come into, he's come into uh, Jerusalem. If, again, stick something in Matthew 23. Come back there to Mark 11. Mark chapter 11. And I left my... Mark 11. If you look here at Mark 11, verse 7. And they brought the colt to Jesus and cast his gar their garments on him, and he sat upon him. And many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and, sh and straw strawed them in the way. And they that went before, and they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They are expecting the coming of the Messiah. And with him, then the coming of the kingdom. The kingdom of our father David. They're looking for this. They're not... So when they ask when and what's going on and all this stuff, they're not just asking it to prompt him. They are talking about his second coming and the establishment of the kingdom, millennial kingdom to introduce it and then on out. So when you come back over here to Mark 13, their question is about the second coming and the kingdom, and he's going to describe... He's going to answer them here in Mark 13. In Matthew, he does it in, in chapter 24 and in chapter 25. So this, the Olivet Discourse here, 
is about his kingdom power. It's about him, if you, oh, where did it go? If you look at verse 26, 13, 26, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. So in chapter 13, what are we doing? Here's his coming, here's his power, his great glory. Watch what he's going to do. And then again in chapter 14, where are we? Verse 1, where two day, and after two days was the feast of Passover and of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they may take him by craft and put him to death. So what are they? Ha- what's happening? He's now we're going to the cross. So we're two days out, chapter thirteen, and that's before he dies. And he's here. He is two days out, Matthew thirteen, and he's setting forth his kingdom glory. He's setting forth the timing of it, the details for what the little flock need to understand and what they're going to be doing during that time. Then in chapter 14, here's the cross. And it's just really fascinating to to understand he's on his way to the cross. Come over to Hebrews 12. He's on his way to the cross, and he stops, and he gives this great discourse about his coming glory and what is really on his mind is the cross and what's on his mind on the way to the cross is his glory let's say it right because hebrews 12 2 looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Okay, the joy set before him. There's Mark 13. He endured the cross. There's Mark 14 and 15. Despising the shame. No big deal. Moves right along. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. There's Mark 16. So we're right there. So if if we understand what's going on, go back to Mark 13. He he knows what's coming, the cross, Mark 14 and 15, but yet what's on his mind? The glory, the joy. So Mark 13, again, it's in its right place, (laughs) so we can understand what the ultimate goal in the mind of the Messiah is, and that's the glory. And that ends, ends up being the same glory that he shared with the Father before, He's going to share again with the Father. He, the second time here, he shares with the Father here, that's with redemption accomplished for humanity. So now the original plan of the Father can be carried out without issue. So when you come back to Mark 13, he's on the way, and yet before that we see the rejected one coming in glory coming in power and great glory and there he is so mark 13 verse 1 and he and as he went out of the temple one of his disciples saith unto him master see what manner of stones and what buildings are here one of the disciples come and say okay And it's interesting because in Matthew 24, so flip back there, Matthew 24, 
verse 1, if you notice this. He's, and Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. See how it says the disciples came? Mark says, one of his disciples saith, come over to Luke 21, get the other passage in your hand. So you got three hands going. Luke 21. Actually, if you have a Bible, you just roll the pages over. Oh, well, you get three screens up if you got that. <laughs> Luke 21. If you look at Luke 21, verse... Uh, Verse 5, and, and as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, As for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. Luke 21, 5 and 6 there. Some say. So the guys are talking. The Lord has left the temple. Again, what did... Uh, the context is tremendous. He's left the temple. They get together and start talking and admiring. Look at verse 5, Luke 21, 5. And as some spake of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones. They get to looking at all of the, all of the, all of the grandeur. They get to look at all of the, all, you know, I don't know if you've ever been inside of a cathedral. It's awe. It's like, oh, my goodness, wow, look at this place, you know. And that they get, so they get to talking, and then they, they're going to ask the question, yet Mark doesn't say it that way. Mark says one of the disciples, there was one who was totally captured by the beauty of the temple, of the buildings, and he comes. But again, just notice in 21.5, adorned with goodly stones and gifts. Verse 6, as for these things which ye behold, the days will come, in which there shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And again, people argue all day long about AD 70. AD 70 has nothing to do with this. Again, they missed that point of the issue of the dispensational setting. Okay? And, by the way, they also missed the point of the context here. Because you know what they say? Well, that's the total destruction of the temple. But that doesn't say that. Because where are we? It's these stones, the one, the adorned, the goodly stone gifts, this, this uh, opulence here, this grandeur. These were, uh, again, that, that's the point here. It's more than just all being in a, a, a rumble uh, or a rubble. It's, he's talking about the beauty of it. It was a monument to man's achievement. And, you know, that was Israel's problem. Israel, come over to Hosea 8. Israel had a, they had a desire, get Hosea 8 and Jeremiah 7, one at a time, Hosea 8. Israel had a desire for the religious things. Remember Judges 17, when Micah makes a house of gods? Then he goes down there and he anoints one of his, appoints one of his boys to be the priest until that Levite shows up. Then he's got a real priest. 
and a real guy right out of college, man, right out of the seminary. He's our guy. And what do they call him? Father. And then the tribe Dan comes in and takes it all away. And they're like, what did you do with my stuff? That Israel's got a problem with that. They, you know, religion loves to adorn itself in beauty. Not a plain place. They, you know, not a, not, not, it, it's, God only ordained one temple. Okay? And that was to sit where? Jerusalem. But Israel had temples everywhere. You know, I was watching the, the Mormons build the temple down in Gilbert because I drove right by it on my school bus every day, had to fight the traffic. And I'm waiting for them to put the angel dude on the roof on the top because it's not always the same as something else. And I'm just watching. And I was like, wow, well, when they had their open houses, we went. I want to see this. And you know what? You had to wear booties. And you had to stay on the walkway. Now, I didn't, of course. I'm over in the, where I'm not supposed to be, you know, just because I like to get yelled at by my wife, my kids, everybody else, you know. But so, but what are they? Everything is just beautiful. You go into their marriage sanctuary, and they've got these infinity mirrors. There's a mirror on that wall, and there's a mirror on that wall, and they're right at the same angle that you just see on and on and on forever. It was pretty cool. But everything's got gold, gold disc, gold. And I'm sitting there going, the, the, just the grandeur, the beauty. And Israel had a problem with that. They liked that. They wanted that. Christ says, not one stone, one of these goodly stones is going to be left. And he's, again, he's talking about something deeper than, I'll just be honest with you, the stupid building. He's talking about the vain religious system being destroyed, which he just did in what we learned in Mark 12. Hosea 8, verse 14. Hosea 8, 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth, what? Temples, plural. And Judah hath multiplied fenced cities, but I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Notice, buildeth temples, plural. This is Israel, the northern tribes. What'd they do? They're built, again, God only ordained one place for that temple to sit, and it was in Jerusalem. Israel, that's not, one's not enough, we need two. And if we're going to do two, might as well do three. And Jeroboam had them built in Dan and Bethel. And Rehoboam had them built, and they just, on and on and on. Jeremiah 7. Run over there. Jeremiah 7. So when we get into Mark 13, we're, we're, we're not talking about just the simple buildings. We're, we're talking about something much deeper. Jeremiah 7, verse 3. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. There is three temples there. Three different temples. You know how you know? The word these. It, would have been, it wouldn't have been plural. It would have been a singular. No, we got three. We have more. What are they doing? They're setting up different temples. They're setting up different uh, they're setting them up to be special, and they're adorned, and they're, the, they're that status and the riches. 
when the Mormon temple downtown Mesa finally opened from there, we went and walked through it. I'm like, I want to see this. And, you know, it's just, it's just awe. It's like, holy cow. You know, where do you get your money from? And well, we know. But the thing is, is it's just what? It's on full display. By the way, God never works in the big. He always works in the little. You remember Gideon? You remember how many he started with? 3,000. He ended up with what? 300. He never works in that big. He looks at Israel and Israel's like, look how mighty we are. And he goes, nope, not the mighty, it's the few. But yet, what do they do? They put out that big, we're, we're big, big, big. Down on the way to Florence, down that direction, there is a Greek Orthodox, um, uh, where do the monks go? Uh, what do you call um, I just had the word. Monastery. Okay, and we, you can go down there and take a tour and, and, you know, during certain times and blah, blah, blah. So I was driving a charter bus with the guy, and we went down there. I took a group down there, and you walk around, and you can, you can walk in one of their church buildings. So we walk in, and it, it was just gorgeous. It's like, holy cow. And they've got a chair that sits in like a closet with three walls, and it's all ornate, and they got the chair... And it's one piece of wood. It isn't three. It's just one. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And the guy leading the tour, he's like, well, you know, just think of how uh, of the, the dedication and the love that the, the craftsmen have. And, all. and I'm like, wow, that's what they're doing here. So when you come back to Mark 13, that's what they're doing. They're building cathedrals. Bigger is better. Let's outdo the last. Let's move this along. So in Mark 13, verse 1, 1, there's one of the disciples that come. There's one that's caught up in all of this stuff. And what he's done is, I'm, uh, come over to John 12. I'll show you who this guy, who he is. Now, the scripture doesn't say who he is, but I'll give you an idea of what I, who I think this is. One of the disciples, he goes in, he gets them all worked up. So much so that Peter, James, and John, and Andrew kind of come privately away from everybody and say, hey, if what you just said is accurate and we believe it to be, then we need to know the whens and the whats and the wherefores here. But notice the one guy, the one of the apostles. John 12, verse Verse 1, we're six days before the Passover. He comes to Bethany. Mary, verse 3, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus. Verse 4, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This is this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was, the th was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. You see, the one that was all caught up in the money, the, the wow, is Judas Iscariot. It should have been sold. You know, what do you mean you're using this ointment on his feet, missing completely the whole thing of what's going on here? 
It could have been sold for 300. We get to Judas is, he is worried about the money and the appearance. He's the treasurer of the group, if you will. And he's worried about, but he doesn't care about the poor. He's just carried that he can walk around with a little more jingle in his pocket than the others. So when they come out of the temple, Judas says, man, isn't this place something? Look at this place. Wow. And we're leaving? And we're not coming back? Why in the world would we leave? Come, up, come back there to Mark 13. Why in the world would we leave this place? And again, that's the setting here. And you have to remember, the disciples have been in the temple all week. They've been arguing. They've been, so it's not the first time that they've noticed the beauty of the temple. They've been in there arguing, and they've been aware of all of the wealth and all of the beauty, and it's stuck in Judas's mind. And Judas has stirred them up. Because it's, and, and again, it's the desire of that vain religious system, that desire for things, the pomp, the circumstance, the show, the glory, the riches, the outward appearance. So when Christ says, 13.1, hey, these buildings, or 13.2, they're going to be destroyed. What do you mean? Wait a minute here. I, I mean, I could see Judas. What are you talking about? Wait a second. Wait a minute. We're not coming back? Why in the world would we leave? And again, the one who loved it all, he did, he dig, he dug all of it. He's like, what? No, 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 no. They had, if they had been, they'd been there before. But why is it now an issue? Well, what's the Lord say? I'm leaving. And again, the context here is what is, is, what is so key in this. He's, persecu- he's come in, chapter t- Mark 12. What did he do? He starts, by, he starts with a parable against the chief priests and the elders and the scribes. And he demonstrates judgment was the fall on the leadership of the nation because of their lack of fruitfulness. Then he deals with the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees, they pretended to be the friend of God, but they really weren't. The Herodians, they're in league with Israel's main enemy, Rome. The Herod. Herod, the Herod. Then that demonstrates that both are in apostasy. The, they're all phony. The Pharisees who are... That they're the fundamental Bible-believing tote, and we don't do this, you know. We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with those that do. Boom. And he goes, oh, yeah, you do, and boom. Then he deals with that scribe. I'm sorry, the Sadducees. Get the right group next. They don't believe anything. And he, again, demonstrates the validity of resurrection life in the face of their flippant, unbelief then he deals with that scribe where that he gets really one genuine question about the law but yet that was all demonstrating the real issue and the real problem and the real nature of the law and that's that heart issue and they 
not that outward ceremonial show stuff, but yet, what's this guy? He's, chapter 12 there, in verse uh, 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the, you're just one step away. All you got to do is join the little flock. Believe that I'm Messiah, join the little flock. That's all you got to do. And he wouldn't do it. It's like that rich young ruler with the wealth. Just sell out, man. That's all you got to do. And he won't do it. Then he ends the chapter with that picture of the widow's mite and that wonderful picture of the little flock. And here's what they all needed to do, and that was take it all and cast it in. I mean, take everything and put it in. Uh, We're all in. We count the cost. We're all in. And yet the leadership wouldn't do it. By the way, in Matthew 23, the, the king pronounces judgment. Woe unto you, Pharisees and scribes, you hypocrites. And he nails them. And yet here, at the end of the chapter here, by the way, at the end of chapter 23, the Lord weeps over Jerusalem. If you had done it, then I would have, I wanted to, but you would not. Then he leaves the temple. And he says, you won't see me again until you see me in my coming, my second coming. (laughs) And you're not going to enjoy that. And that's where we're here in Mark 13. So what he's doing here, and what he's saying here, is he's pronouncing judgment on that very religious system that had captured Israel and held them in satanic bondage. And he's pronouncing judgment on them And he does it by leaving. And the one disciple that's kind of hooked into that says, wait a minute, look at how beautiful this place is. Look at how wonderful it is. Look at how fantastic it is. When we moved here, we had rented all the time, and we bought the place. I told Brian, our landscaper, I said, I want an A1 property. I don't want it looking trashy. I want it looking clean and nice. He's like, okay. So he goes and does that. In here, we, I think we painted the walls twice, fixed the lights, and that's it. Why? Because we, we, we used to have chandeliers. And you see that hole right there? They were there and there. You couldn't see. The light would shine down. Everybody's around the light. <laughs> so like this, it's like, you know, so I'm like, we need light. Why? Because we're studying. We're, do, we're getting into it. J- Judas is there. Well, why are we leaving this? What's going on here? We're leaving and we're not coming back? Hold them, hold on, hold the phone. But see, he's stirred up the group. So when you come into Mark 13 here, that's kind of the setting here. And that's what, what, kind of what's going on here. Verse 1, And as he went out of the temple, one of, his disi- one of his disciples saith unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And again, it's an exclamation point. It isn't a question. It's all, oh, wow, the adorned with the goodly stones and gifts. I mean, this place is just beautiful. Verse 2, and Jesus answered, answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? Again, he's talking about the, the, the glamour, the, the, the opulence, the riches, the adornment. 
There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. If the issue is the destruction of the temple and, and ultimately the city, but here the temple, because the temple is where everything starts. It's the head of everything is in that temple. Okay? And again, people will, they come up with some weird things. Well-meaning people, folks. Well, a stone was left. Or, well, those two stones were left on top of each other. That's not the issue here at all. The issue is the destruction of that appeal and the glamour and the glory of the religious system. Come over to Luke 21. And again, in, in every commentary, I was looking online this afternoon, in, in, you know, in most study Bibles, they'll talk about 70 A.D., 70 A.D. didn't fulfill this. And the reason they say this, that the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem happened under the Roman armies in Titus and everything, is that they don't understand the mystery. They don't understand the, uh, the, 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 that the mystery has interrupted the prophetic program, again, long before 70 A.D. 70 A.D. didn't fulfill anything. It's just the next click on the calendar. And what these passages are going to begin to talk about, look at Luke 21, is the issue here about the tribulation and the second coming of the Lord and the prophetic, he's going to paint the prophetic picture for them. Luke 21, 20. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is not. So what are they going to see? Armies. They've seen this before, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar, Assyria. They've seen this isn't anything new to them. Verse 21. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein. Now, think about that. They're going to flee to the mountains. Okay? You, you got what Luke 21 says. Now, go get Mark 13 and Matthew 24. Because while the preterist and those guys that like to say AD 70, what they do is they hope you don't read these two verses. Matthew 24. Hold on to Luke, but get Matthew and Mark. Mark uh, Matthew 24, and look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by who? Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. That's Luke 21, 21. But what does Matthew say? We're talking about the midst of the week of the 70th week of Daniel when this is going to happen. We're not talking about A.D. 70. We're talking about 70th week timing. Future. Mark 13. They don't want you to read these verses. I, I, I know. You know why I know? Because I've argued with these guys. And uh, 
Mark 13, 14, And when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. <laughs> I like that. Let him that readeth understand, then let them which be, that be in Judea flee to the mountains. By the way, who's fleeing? The Jews that are where? In Judea. Not America, not Mexico, not Russia, not any, in Judea. Very specific. So when you come back to Luke 21, 21, then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. The timing of that is Daniel 9, the 70th week of Daniel. If you make it 70 A.D., then you're ignoring, well, verse 22. For these be the days of what? Vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. The days of vengeance, have all the days of vengeance been fulfilled in A.D. 70? Not at all. There's so much more to happen. There's, there is a day of wrath, future that's coming. You go back and you read and study Daniel 9, and when we get into Mark, down to verse 14, we'll do this. We'll see it in the details. There's... The, the Lord's entry into the, into the city, the end of the 69th week. And that verse says, and after that, the cutting off of the Messiah, and then wars and, dust and rumors and all this stuff. That hasn't happened yet. Why? Because what does the church, the body of Christ, what does the dispensation of grace do? We gap the gap. So you've got this issue that's going on here. Verse 23, but woe unto them that are with children, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. That hasn't happened yet. By the way, that wrath upon this people is what Matthew 3, where John the Baptist says, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Same wrath. Same to come. They're not there yet. So don't say it's AD 70 because... You, then you, you, you don't take into consideration the dispensation of grace. Verse 24, And there shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That has not happened yet. By the way, in AD 70, in the history, that doesn't happen even in the history of Titus. Okay? Come back to Matthew 24. So you have to be very careful with that. Matthew 24. And again, they understand what's happening. Matthew 24, 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when shall these be, these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. They understand completely what he's talking about. They're, they're, by the way, in verse 3, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives. Now, that's, he doesn't sit there for a better view of Jerusalem. I heard a guy say that one time. Oh, he's sitting in the high seats and so he could, in the high mountains. He could see over. That's not there at all. Acts 1, the mount is where he ascends up 
And the angel said, what are you guys looking up here for? Go. He's going to come right back. Zechariah 14, say, he's, going to, he's going to put his foot right back on there. So it's no accident that something's going to happen here, okay? Um, look, you know, just look over at Acts 1, just real quick here. Because it's, it's very, the Mount of Olives has a, has a very prophetic, uh, it's because of its prophetic significance here about what he's going to now go teach them. In, in, the situ- in, 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 in the Gospels. Acts 1, verse 9. Acts 1, verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So we have the ascension here. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. You see how he went up in the clouds? Guess what he's going to do? He's going to return in the clouds, but the clouds in the returning are his holy angels, the armies. Now watch verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. It's just a couple miles outside of town. So when he sits, the last place that he touches on earth is Mount Olives. And when he comes back, just real quick, Zechariah 14, you got to put this together. When he comes back in his second coming, that route out of the north, down across, down along the, the eastern seaboard, or the, west, the eastern side of the uh, the western side of Jerusalem, the eastern seaboard of the Mediterranean, and he goes down around Bozer and Idumea and comes up, crosses the Jordan right where the, the stones are laid, where everybody's gone. And then he puts his foot down, Zechariah 14, verse 3. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. So the last place he touches in earth, Mount of Olives, the first place in his coming back that he touches, he doesn't touch the ground till he gets to the Mount of Olives. He's riding that horse and he's going through. Verse 9, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. Shall there be no Lord, I'm sorry, shall there be one Lord, and his name won. He's going to be king. So in his second coming, Mount of Olives is associated with his coming and the setting up of the kingdom. So when you come back to Matthew 24, they're on the Mount of Olives because he's talking to them about what's to happen in connection to his return and the setting up of the kingdom. Okay? 24-3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They understand that the issue is the second coming. When? When is all this going to happen? When is that vain religious system going to be ultimately destroyed? And then, what is the sign of the coming and the end of the world? Two things there. Now, sometimes people make it three, but there's only two because of that word, okay? When and what? When is this going to happen? The destruction of the religious system, i.e. second coming, and what is the sign of your coming? 
Okay? They understand that the world is ending when he returns. They understand that this apostate world is going to be replaced by his kingdom. They got it. Now come over to Micah. By the way, this is why we're going to be looking into the minor prophets when we're done with Mark. Look at Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. Micah 3 verse 9. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and princes of the house of Israel that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. That is what Mark 12 is all about. Now watch verse 11. The heads thereof judge for reward and the priests thereof teach for hire and the prophets thereof divine for money yet will they lean upon the Lord and say is not the Lord among us none evil can come upon us a bunch of hypocrites that's what Matthew 23 is all about but notice he says the heads verse 12 therefore shall Zion for your sake, be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the house as the high place of the forest. Therefore, because of the apostasy in verse 9, 10, and 11, what's going to happen? He's just going to get in there and plow it all under. He's just going to heap it all up. Zion's going to be plowed under. Jerusalem, he's going to just plow it up. He's going to destroy all of that vain religious system that's taken Israel captive, that's being ruled and instituted and enforced by the satanic policy of evil and the antichrist and the false prophet and all of that, and he's just going to take it and he's just going to plow it out. Now, come back to Mark 13. That's not 70 A.D. I've, I was talking to a guy one time. And we'd just go around and around. And this guy hated Paul. And he hated dispensationalism. And he hated the fact that I, he hated me, for the fact that I kept telling him, you're hating your Bible. No, I'm not. I love the Bible. Well, you just hated, you know, 13 books in it. And he, I asked him one day, I said, is, so what you're telling me is that we're in the kingdom now. He goes, yes. I go, uh-uh. Not what I study in the books you're preaching, you're throwing at me, what the kingdom is. He goes, oh, no. The, so then he comes back a couple months later, and I come to find out, you know how you got the five-point Calvinist? I guess there's like five or six-point preterist. Because he had, well, we're really not in the kingdom. We're in the judgment of the Gentiles now. And he pulled Matthew 25 out of thin air. And I'm like, but Matthew 25, 31 is very specific when that's going to happen. And he just round and around. Why? Because he failed to rightly divide their word. Mark 13. So this isn't 70 A.D. That, that, this is looking, Mark 13 is looking into the future. The dispensation of grace is not here. We're going to interrupt it. Now watch verse 5, and, and just to kind of get the feel here. Verse 5, And Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed, lest any man deceive you. Now, he's going to start talking about what the little flock is going to face 
in his absence. Verse 6, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And when ye shall hear of wars and rumors of war, be ye not troubled, for such things must needs be. But the end shall not be yet. I love that. He's, the Lord is like, when you hear all of this stuff, it's it just, you know, you know, you're going to know the picture, you know the scriptures. Guess what? There's a whole bunch of stuff going to happen. It isn't it. And, and I mean, I know today people ask, they've, I, we were just talking the other day here about it. Don't you think the Lord's coming back? You know, look at the world. Look. I'm like, yeah, but the guys in the 1800s said the same thing during the Civil War. Look at the world. Look at, you know, when it, it's time for him to come back, isn't it? Well, just when you think it's getting bad, uh, it's not there yet. The 70th week of Daniel has tremendous time schedule, and events have to be worked out. If you drop down to verse 14, but when ye shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. Total rebellion. And you go read Daniel 9, 26 and 27, and you see these details and all of the stuff that's got to work out way before the 70th week is ever started. The 70th week starts with the signing of the covenant between Israel and the Antichrist. It's a political contract. He comes in with a peace policy and flatteries and rescues Israel from a great war with Egypt. Comes in and just pounces on them. Egypt's like, or Israel's like, yeah, sign up. And then he goes in, caught, you know, and things begin to happen. But before, that, by the way, they use this passage in Mark and in the passage in Rome, Revelation 6, and they get to talking about the four horsemen and all that. That's the Antichrist and the, and the steps that he's going to take to get the deal done. So in, 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 chapter, in verse 5 to 13 here, there's nothing about the Antichrist there. You don't see anything about him. And then all of a sudden, verse 14, when you see the, the desolation stop, which is what he's going to do in the midst of the week, well, now we got the Antichrist. So the period of time before the 70th week, there are events to be worked out. And then they're, then, then they're going to sign the covenant with death and hell, Isaiah calls it. Now the 70th week begins, and the and then we have a time schedule there that's got to work out. But that's not the issue in Mark. All of that is not what Mark's after. Mark is not about the events that are going to happen. He's not worried about, all he's worried about and focused on is here's what they, the little flock, are going to be doing. The little flock is the focus. Guess what? Matthew, he ain't worried about, he's worried about all this, about the king and what the king's going to do and the proclamations and the judgments. Mark says, here are the events, verse 8, 13, 8. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be earthquakes in divers places, and there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. What? Trouble hasn't even got there yet. It's the beginning of sorrows. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up. See that? Take heed to yourselves. Little flock, pay attention here. 
They're going to deliver you up to the councils and in the synagogues you shall be beaten and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all the nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you, take no thought beforehand that what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye, for it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. That's familiar ground, isn't it? It's what he told them in where? In Matthew 10, in the Great Commission, Matthew 10 is the, is the commissioning of the apostles, starts in the Lord's Day, goes all the way out to his second coming, actually goes into the Millennial Kingdom too, and here he is. See, he's talking about the course of events that the little flock is going to face as they go through their ministry and his absence and the issues of what they're going to face. And they're, they have to carry on as servants. And that's what Mark is pushing at and focusing on. That w- the, 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 the way that they're going to serve. He's not worried about the events. They're going to happen. He's not trying to identify the time. He just says, look, Here's where we're at. Verse 14 is the Antichrist. So Mark 13, here's how the servant is going to function, that little flock. Now, if you look down at verse 32, 1332. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. You know what? The servant doesn't need to know what the time is, what's going on. That's not the function. By the way, remember in Acts 1, you're going to restore again the the kingdom? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. It's not given to the servants to know and to understand what's going on. John 15, it's just just fascinating here. John 15... um, 15, he says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Notice that the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. It's, that's the issue in Mark 13. By the way, 1332, the, neither does the Son. There's the humanity doesn't know the time schedule. And the, and the Lord in his humanity, and again, that's the point. That's why Philippians 2, John 1, all those things about what he did, he took on the form of a servant. I don't know. That's what he's telling. Hey, guys, I don't know what's going on. Verse 33, I'm back in Mark 13, 33. Now, by the way, as God, he knows what's going on. In the humanity side of the equation, that means man doesn't know. That's why he would say, back up there in verse 14, let him that readeth understand. Who's going to be reading? The Bible-believing Jew is going to be reading. The little flock is going to be And what can they do? By faith, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and what? get into it and go. Uh, Mark 13, 33. Watch this. Take ye heed. Take ye heed. Watch and pray. For ye know not when the time is. What are they to do? They're to take heed. They're to pay it. Watch. 
pay attention, stay awake. What's the servant going to do? Be alert, be awake, be ready. And the goal here is, is ultimately verse 26. That's what he's after. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And that's the issue in Mark 13. Here's the servant. Here's what the servant is going to be doing. Now, time's up. Okay? Five after the hour, top of the hour. So we'll get into the details next week, starting verse 4. Because even though, again, I'm going to hammer, this isn't 70 AD, and I know you guys understand that, but because it's so abused in that thought process, and again, it's just a failure to rightly divide the word, to understand that the dispensation of grace and the mystery program has been on the scene long before 70 A.D. Always, always fascinates me when people say, Hitler was the Antichrist. No, Hitler was Hitler. <laughs> the Antichrist is a prophetic program that's been interrupted. Okay? And I, I understand what they mean by it, don't, but it's not when you get into here. The issue in Mark, what is the little flock going to face? And then how, what are they going to do in that opposition that they're facing. Okay? Real fast tonight, I guess, but a lot to get in. Just Again, just get the flow, get the thought, and then we'll work in some of the details starting next week. All right? Okay, dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to look into these things, to grasp them, to understand what you're going to be doing with your people in those latter days, in that time of of uh, great tribulation that will be facing them and the fact that that little flock will be faithful to the end. In your name we pray, amen.